Hello everyone, uh, this is Trisha Staley, a psychotherapist in the metro Detroit area in St. Clair Shores, Michigan, and this is my second podcast that I am, I'm typically recording these on Mondays, which is one of my days off, and I'm going to call it Pandemic Topic Mondays, which I think is fairly appropriately named in these times. And what I want to talk about today is a disorder that I am seeing um, definitely on the rise during this entire pandemic. And, and also, this specific disorder seems to be changing for some folks that had it going into COVID-19. And the disorder that I'm referring to is obsessive compulsive disorder. And for those that may not be um, completely familiar with with what obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD for short, is, OCD is basically, um, it is a intense fear or fears that begins for a person with high anxiety associated with it that tends to turn into ritualistic and or compulsive thoughts. Um, Perhaps you've heard about those people that Um, have to uh, continuously check doorknobs and locks to make sure that the locks are um, all adequate throughout their house before they go to bed at night. Um, And in some cases, they will check it over and over again. Or the people that have to um, triple and quadruple and even more check that they turned the stove off. Um, Those are are some examples. Um, And Going into this pandemic, I did have several folks that I was working with that definitely had OCD ritualistic behavior. Um, What's been really interesting for me to see is that for some of my existing folks that already had OCD tendencies, it actually has shifted. And I don't think we've really begun to do enough research in this area to figure out why that is exactly. Um, but for example, if you had somebody that, w- that going into the pandemic was afraid of germs and was an obsessive hand washer, what I'm actually finding is that they continue you know, to, to abide by CDC uh, standards and, and wash their hands, maybe even a little bit more than, than they did before. But actually, um, for a lot of folks, their OCD rituals are changing. And I, I kind of wonder, this is just me thinking out loud, but I wonder if a lot of that is just they exhausted themselves so much with it before the pandemic started that they had to turn their fear in a different direction. Um, I'm hearing stories from folks that had, you know, um, germ issues going into the pandemic and, and they continue to have that a little bit, but no more than, you know, the average person does right now in, in these trying times. But what they're starting to develop is new rituals like, you know, having to step on every third crack in the sidewalk um, or, or now all of a sudden they're a compulsive lock checker when they never were before. And what scares me about folks that perhaps had made a lot of strides with their OCD going into this whole thing and were, you know, definitely making a lot of positive progress is that it seems to be, um, you know, coming back for a, a lot of these folks. It seems to be coming back. And and I, I know that that's scary for them too. It's, it's, it's scary to see because they, they feel like now I'm never going to get better. Now I'm never going to be able to let this go. And the reality is, is that I, I don't think that's the case. I, I think a lot of that is the fears. A lot of that is the anxiety. A lot of that is, is all of the, um, the, the constant um, media coverage that this is being given. I think a lot of it is just, it's, it's oversaturation. It's overstimulation with the whole thing. Um, but 
what is what is definitely disconcerting is to see folks that were were very much on the mend with this whole thing and now it seems to be reigniting for many or or changing course as i as i mentioned a, a couple minutes ago um what i want folks to know is that it's it it's very difficult to decipher in this day and age is it ocd or is it just normal anxiety and normal fear and talking with a trained therapist talking with someone who has dealt with ocd um you know for a, with a lot of folks um can be very beneficial it can help you sort out in your own mind is this covid 19 anxiety or is this is this truly ocd um I read something when when this whole thing began that that was very helpful for me. I I was having personally, I was having a lot of um anxiety attacks and I couldn't figure out if this was like reignited past trauma for me or if it was COVID-19 anxiety. And the article that I read said, "Well, okay, were you thinking about COVID-19 before the anxiety attack hit and I'm like, well, yeah, actually I was. Actually I was. And that was very helpful for me so that I could decipher, you know, whether this was COVID-19 anxiety, which the vast majority of the time it was, um and not reignited trauma. But with some folks, their COVID-19 anxiety could in fact turn into more regular anxiety and then OCD can start developing as a way to manage the anxiety. I know this sounds kind of like backwards a little bit because you think well OCD is 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 very anxious uh anxiety-based rituals and anxiety-based behaviors, but the reality is is that OCD is a way an intense way of managing your anxiety and it's basically anxiety gone overboard. And what what I think we're going to be seeing a lot of as clinicians is we're going to be seeing a lot of folks like I mentioned um earlier on in this podcast that were very much on the mend, you know, going into this whole thing and we're doing very well um in managing their OCD rituals and their OCD behaviors and compulsive thoughts and then all of a sudden it's kicked back in but perhaps it's changed course or perhaps they've been they've been kind of free of it for a long time and then all of a sudden it's back and it's back with a vengeance. I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that. I also think that we're going to be seeing seeing folks that have never dealt with anxiety and have never dealt with panic and they are going to be experiencing it for the first time in their lives and then correspondingly developing OCD to deal with that intense anxiety and have absolutely no idea how to handle it. Um it is a well-known statistic that um something like 80 to 85% of ER hospital admissions um or ER visits I should say are um people think that they're having a heart attack when in fact they're really having a panic attack or an anxiety attack and I think we're going to be seeing a lot of that, you know, in in the months ahead, a lot of people that are you know worried about whether it's it's the recession or it's worried about the economy or it's worried about you know the second wave that they keep predicting is going to happen or you know a whole host of other things that um you know th- this virus is 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 causing and is going to continue to cause for for a time to come i think we're going to be seeing a lot of folks entering er's in my opinion thinking that they're having a heart attack and in fact they're actually having an intense panic attack and so they're sent home and if they don't have a therapist in place if they don't have a psychiatrist in place if they don't have mental health um you know lined up uh, mental health treatment lined up they can it can, that can turn into OCD very rapidly that can turn into OCD overnight as a way of garnering control and as a way of managing um the anxiety that they're experiencing and the and the worries and the fears So um just so everybody knows I have worked with with OCD for a very long time um and I I certainly welcome anybody 
uh, reaching out to me uh, to, you know, with any questions about um, whether it be about the, the rise in OCD that I really strongly suspect that we're going to see, um, the changing course, like I mentioned, um, you know, how this thing develops, um, what, what we could be seeing into the future, also comorbid disorders for any clinicians out there that might be, you know, wondering about the overlap between eating disorders and, um, you know, depression and anxiety and all of that. Um, I, I would certainly welcome any, you know, thoughts or, or questions in that regard. Um, I also want to mention that there is a very helpful tool that is available um, from some therapists. I'm, I'm certainly not going to say all, but but from some, and I, I do happen to be one of them, and that is EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And EMDR is a very helpful short-term tool that has been um, you know, absolutely scientifically proven to help people reduce the the ailments that are ailing them, so to speak, whether it be depression, anxiety, um, you know, uh, trauma, um, and and definitely very helpful with with OCD. Um, and um, those of us that have had to make the transfer to telehealth. Uh, are, are realizing that, um, hey, we can actually do this online. And I did very recently learn how to do it online. Um, I am being coached in that. And if you have, um, if you know anybody that has any questions or, you know, want, maybe you want to do some research on EMDR um, and, and think about it, um, there are definitely therapists out there who are doing it. Um, ideally, ideally, in my opinion, um, it, it would be done face to face, but you know, online is certainly better um, than, than nothing at all. So did want to put that plug out there. Um, I also want to encourage everybody in these trying times, in these times of high anxiety and you know, the propensity for disorders like OCD to be on the rise that, you know, be gentle with yourself, you know, try as hard as you can to stay away from social media and other media sources as much as you can, because these fuel it probably more than anything else that I see. Um, you know, when I, when I talk to folks through my video sessions and I ask them, you know, were you thinking about the virus or were you on a social media outlet or were you on, you know, watching, watching the news, you know, before you started engaging in the rituals and nine times out of 10, darn near 10 times out of 10, the answer to that is yes. Um, that is a very, um, it might be easier for some than others, but, but, but that is a relatively quick and simple uh, way to, avoid potentially going into um, an OCD attack, if you will. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. And I um, certainly um, am enjoying doing these podcasts on um, Pandemic Recording Mondays, as I'm calling them. And um, stay tuned for next week's. And thank you very much for listening. Hello and welcome to week three of my Pandemic Monday podcast. Once again, my name is Trisha Staley and I am a psychotherapist in private practice under normal circumstances um, in St. Clair Shores. I operate in office there, a business there. Um, however, for the past eight weeks now, um, under governor's orders, I have been doing 100% of my work via telehealth. And what I wanted to talk about this week is actually a topic that I started to think about back when this whole thing was unraveling. I, I had a feeling that this was going to become an issue, and in fact, it has at an epic level, and that is um, folks 
feeling very out of control during this very challenging time for us all and how we can spin so far out of control that it starts leading to maladaptive behaviors. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that, what causes that, and then I'm going to get into um, things that that truly are in our control in in times of, of challenge and in times of crisis and things that are definitively not in our control in these challenging times. So that at the very least, uh, folks can have a bare bones, basic blueprint, if you will, for just keeping that in mind, just keeping it kind of tucked in your back pocket as we go into the days ahead of us, the months ahead of us. So first of all, let me talk about um, what causes people to spin out of control. Whenever things grow to a level where we cannot predict, we cannot handle it, we cannot even begin to grasp how the problem or problems is going to be resolved, it can lead to a feeling of just being completely out of control. And the unfortunate thing is that when this happens, psychologically, it's a psychological construct, people will often grasp onto former behaviors that they were utilizing, things that can be very toxic and, be very, and can be very destructive, things like substance abuse, behaviors that can cause other addictions, um, eating disorders, what have you, in an effort to feel that they have some semblance of control. Now, this is under ordinary circumstances. This is under, you know, this is during pre-pandemic times when perhaps people were just going through a hard time with some kind of personal crisis or whatnot. But you can only imagine the level that this is at now and the level that I believe we are going to continue to see running rampant where people are going to be so challenged to hone in on having something that they can control in the face of our world literally being out of our control right now. And the sad thing is, is that they don't teach us this, you know, growing up. They don't um, hand us a textbook or, or give us a class you know, as we're growing into adulthood to learn about this. And we are left often, the vast majority of us, having to realize this the hard way, figure this out the hard way, and then subsequently to hit our rock bottom, so to speak, and then, you know, to figure out ways that we can climb back and become healthier and happier human beings. This pandemic is at such a monster level, at such an epic level, that I think we're seeing it. I think we're seeing it more and more as the weeks go by that folks are unraveling. You know, we're starting to see a rise in angry attacks verbally and physically. There's a rise in domestic violence that we're seeing. We're seeing folks becoming very embattled in in a feeling of they have absolutely no control, whether it's, you know, uh, within their state, within a personal level, um, economically, nationwide, um, just dealing with the virus at hand. You know, we we are seeing um, evidence of that very high level of perceived lack of control. Now, In my field, there are two different types of control. There is what is known as the external locus of control, and there is what is known as the internal locus of control. External locus of control is pretty much, in a nutshell, what I've just described. It is the feeling or the perception, the comprehension that 
things externally outside of oneself are out of their control. And it feels, I guess the best way that I could put it is it feels like the walls are kind of caving in on the person. It feels like they're they're sinking. It feels like they have absolutely contr- no control of what's going on around them. And so they feel as though they cannot adjust themselves in co- accordingly. It's about everything that's happening to them and they have no choice in the matter. And it's not a healthy way to be. And I believe we are going to see this on a much grander scale as time marches on. Internal locus of control is the much healthier way of living. It is what I'm going to start talking about here in just a minute in terms of focusing on what the individual can do to control their circumstances within their means to control their attitude, to control their behaviors, to control their responses, so that at the very least, they are not sinking into a tidal wave of dysfunction as if we're not dealing with enough of that right now. And so let me just give some examples, first of all, of things that we cannot control pertaining to this current pandemic. We cannot, ladies and gentlemen, control the social distancing of others. We cannot, you know, walk into a convenience store, for example, and, you know, we see somebody who doesn't have a mask on or gloves on. We do. We're doing everything accurately. They're not and they're not adhering to that. That is not something that we can force. That is not something that we can, you know, um, have a talk with them and that they're even going to understand. And I think the, the sooner that people understand that you cannot control the actions and the social, social distancing of others, the, the better off we're going to be. We cannot predict the future. There is absolutely no way that we can predict what is going to happen a month from now two months from now, heck, we cannot even predict what's going to happen tomorrow. The level of change that has been involved in this whole thing day to day, sometimes hour to hour and minute to minute has been astounding just to me. If you had told me just two some months ago that my life would be spent in front of a computer screen doing 100% virtual appointments, I don't know that I even would have believed you then. We cannot predict the future. We don't exactly know how this is going to go. We don't know about the second wave that they keep calling. We, we just can't predict. It's changing constantly. We also, conversely, cannot control how long this thing is going to last. You know, <laughs> it depends on who you listen to, you know. I've listened to some folks say, well, this is going to be 12 to 18 months of our life. I've heard others say, buckle up, it's going to be the next three years. I've talked to some who are fully confident that this is going to be over by September. Now, I don't know. I guess it's just my training. I believe that somewhere between, quote, here and here lies the truth. And even then, we can't completely trust that that's the case. Again, we, we can't predict how long this thing is going to go, how long it's going to last, or further, when there's going to be a vaccine or a cure for it. We also cannot control how others react and what their motives are. And I think what I'm seeing is that this is probably the most detrimental thing to the vast majority of us, I know that I personally have experienced this, I'm sure others have, where you look at what other people are doing, the protests, the the level of, of dysfunctional behaviors that we're seeing, and we just sit back and we stand back and we shake our head and we go, why are they doing this? What is their motivation? You know, what, what, what is the purpose of this? Like, how is this going to help matters? 
oh my gosh, I have shaken my head over and over. I have shook my head so much in the last two months that my neck is sore, honestly. But the problem with that is that the more that we question that and we think that by questioning that, we're going to somehow control the motives and the reactions of others, all it's going to do is mess with our heads more. And you're going to start seeing it contribute to struggles sleeping, struggles functioning on the levels that you want to be functioning on, you know, engaging in the things that you do want to be doing. And so I think it's important to just, and I know this is easier said than done, but it's it's something that I'm, I'm striving to work on right now. And I, I, I really advise other folks to do this as well, is to just kind of do a little head shake from side to side and then, you know what I mean, just throw caution to the wind, throw your hands up in the air and just say, you know what, we'll see how this works out. Karma, Mother Nature, God, whatever you believe in will run its course and then walk away from it. Now, this ties in to now turning into internal locus of control, what we can control Piggybacking off of what I just said, we can control walking away, if you will, from questioning the motives and the reactions of others. We can do this. We can, you know, simply say to ourselves, I don't agree. I don't care for this. I have no idea where this is going to go, but I trust that it's going to run its course in the way that it's designed. And I promise everybody, you will be happier and you will be healthier if you can start practicing this instead of constantly posting on social media. Again, I am just as guilty as anybody else. I'm working on it, you know, and, and trying to gain some semblance of control by posting and posting and reading and reading. And so along those lines, we can control if we turn the news off, we can we can control, excuse me, you know, shutting down social media for for a bit, you know, limiting it. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to some folks that kind of got this concept early on, my hat's off to them, that decided that they were going to limit their social media to one to two times a week. You know, I think that's amazing. You know, I think it's baby steps. I think um, as time marches on, we're realizing how toxic that can be, how destructive it can be. The presidential election of 2016 was a perfect example of that. And that was just one thing. We're being flooded with a lot more stuff four years later. So limiting that, um, turning the news off from time to time or limiting it. One of the things that I started doing, I wasn't doing this in the beginning, because I think in the beginning, so many of us were just so shell-shocked and, and were like deer in the headlights that we were just trying to stay as informed as we could. What I decided to do was to limit it to one time per day. And, and the time that I felt was going to work the best for me in terms of being a little bit more tired, you know, the day's winding down so that it's not starting off my day on a bad note. And I limit that time in the evening to where I get caught up on the news and, you know, news that I trust and, and you know, kind of look at the figures and what's going on so that I can stay informed. And one of the other things that we can definitely control, and I think this is, this is a given, this is a, a long known issue. It applies in normal times and it, my goodness, it applies more than ever now. And that is maintaining a positive attitude. I cannot emphasize this enough. It is crucial to focus on your blessings. It is crucial to focus on what is going well in your life, what you have, what you're blessed to have, to be grateful for those things. I do a positive list every single day, every single day. And I actually post it publicly. And part of the reason why I do that is I'm trying to set a good example to others of how we need to practice this. This isn't just about this pandemic. It's about every day. And so I encourage everyone to follow my lead there and 
to, if nothing else, keep a positive journal, a gratefulness journal, write down a few things every day that you're grateful for. Start there. If you want to, you know, kind of follow my, um, my lead, you know, post it publicly on some kind of forum, whether it's, you know, Facebook, Instagram, you know, let people know what is going well in your life. We are flooded, ladies and gentlemen, which with so much negativity right now, it's, it's just, it's percolating in the air. And so I think we, we all need to take a step back and to smell the roses. And finally, I will say this, within our internal locus of control, within our personal world of what we can control in this world of pandemonium right now is kindness and grace, exhibiting kindness and humility and grace. We have always needed more of it, and now we need it more than ever. I have seen in the past eight, nine weeks some of the most humble, amazing, kind, giving things that folks have done and pillars, pillars of representation of being kind have just been flooded. You know, I've, I've seen it. I've heard about wonderful stories on the radio, on, on TV, all over the place. Amazing what folks are doing. Folks are out there making masks. Folks, folks are out there exhibiting talents that they didn't even know they had, trying to help out and donate things and deliver and be good to their neighbors. And then on the flip side, I've seen a lot of evil spirited behavior and it never gets you anywhere. It, it, I mean, even in normal times, it doesn't get us anywhere. And if leadership, if certain leaders out there are not exhibiting kindness, I think it's very easy for those of us to follow suit, some of, some of us to follow suit, I should say, and you know, to think that that's how we handle it. But I can, I can promise you this, it's, it's not the way to handle it. We are the pillars. We are the pillars. We are the hope. We are the future for this country. It's not it's not even the experts in the CDC. It's it's not all of those folks that are going to get us through this. It's us. It's our human behavior. It's our kindness. It's our grace. It's our humility. It's our ability to set our differences aside. And I I hope that in all of this that is the biggest lesson that is learned. That's my hope. That has been my hope. That has been my prayer. That has been my, my, um, my process of thinking from the time this whole thing started was that maybe that's the lesson in it all. And it also, along those lines, is completely within our personal lines of control to control just how kindful, excuse me, kind and graceful we are. And so I hope that this podcast that I did today will start everybody off on a relatively good week and that maybe you gained something useful from this in terms of what is in your control and what is not in your control and how that can be pl- applied not just to this current state of crisis, but to life at large and going forward into the future. I thank you very much, and I hope that everyone has a good week. Hello, and welcome to week three of my Pandemic Monday podcast. Once again, my name is Trisha Staley, and I am a psychotherapist in private practice under normal circumstances um, in St. Clair Shores. I operate in office there, a business there. Um, However, for the past eight weeks now, um, under governor's orders, I have been doing 100% of my work via telehealth. And what I wanted to talk about this week is 
actually a topic that I started to think about back when this whole thing was unraveling. I, I had a feeling that this was going to become an issue, and in fact, it has at an epic level, and that is um, folks feeling very out of control during this very challenging time for us all and how we can spin so far out of control that it starts leading to maladaptive behaviors. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that, what causes that, and then I'm going to get into um, things that that truly are in our control in in times of, of challenge and in times of crisis and things that are definitively not in our control in these challenging times so that at the very least, uh, folks can have a bare bones basic blueprint, if you will, for just keeping that in mind, just keeping it kind of tucked in your back pocket as we go into the days ahead of us, the months ahead of us. So first of all, let me talk about um, what causes people to spin out of control. Whenever things grow to a level where we cannot predict, we cannot handle it, we cannot even begin to grasp how the problem or problems is going to be resolved, it can lead to a feeling of just being completely out of control. And the unfortunate thing is that when this happens, psychologically, it's a psychological construct, people will often grasp onto former behaviors that they were utilizing, things that can be very toxic and, be very, and can be very destructive, things like substance abuse, behaviors that can cause other addictions, um, eating disorders, what have you, in an effort to feel that they have some semblance of control. Now, this is under ordinary circumstances. This is under, you know, this is during pre-pandemic times when perhaps people were just going through a hard time with some kind of personal crisis or whatnot. But you can only imagine the level that this is at now and the level that I believe we are going to continue to see running rampant where people are going to be so challenged to hone in on having something that they can control in the face of our world literally being out of our control right now. And the sad thing is, is that they don't teach us this, you know, growing up. They don't um, hand us a textbook or, or give us a class you know, as we're growing into adulthood to learn about this. And we are left, often, the vast majority of us, having to realize this the hard way, figure this out the hard way, and then subsequently to hit our rock bottom, so to speak, and then, you know, to figure out ways that we can climb back and become healthier and happier human beings. This pandemic is at such a monster level, at such an epic level, that I think we're seeing it. I think we're seeing it more and more as the weeks go by that folks are unraveling. You know, we're starting to see a rise in angry attacks verbally and physically. There's a rise in domestic violence that we're seeing. We're seeing folks becoming very embattled in in a feeling of they have absolutely no control, whether it's, you know, uh, within their state, within a personal level, um, economically, nationwide, um, just dealing with the virus at hand. You know, we, we are seeing um, evidence of that very high level of perceived lack of control. Now, in my field, there are two different types of control. 
there is what is known as the external locus of control and there is what is known as the internal locus of control. External locus of control is pretty much in a nutshell what I've just described. It is the feeling or the perception, the comprehension that things externally outside of oneself are out of their control. And it feels, I guess the best way that I could put it is it feels like the walls are kind of caving in on the person. It feels like they're they're sinking. It feels like they have absolutely contr- no control of what's going on around them. And so they feel as though they cannot adjust themselves in co- accordingly. It's about everything that's happening to them and they have no choice in the matter. And it's not a healthy way to be. And I believe we are going to see this on a much grander scale as time marches on. Internal locus of control is the much healthier way of living. It is what I'm going to start talking about here in just a minute in terms of focusing on what the individual can do to control their circumstances within their means, to control their attitude, to control their behaviors, to control their responses, so that at the very least, they are not sinking into a tidal wave of dysfunction as if we're not dealing with enough of that right now. And so let me just give some examples, first of all, of things that we cannot control pertaining to this current pandemic. We cannot, ladies and gentlemen, control the social distancing of others. We cannot, you know, walk into a convenience store, for example, and, you know, we see somebody who doesn't have a mask on or gloves on. We do. We're doing everything accurately. They're not and they're not adhering to that. That is not something that we can force. That is not something that we can, you know, um, have a talk with them and that they're even going to understand. And I think the, the sooner that people understand that you cannot control the actions and the social, social distancing of others, the, the better off we're going to be. We cannot predict the future. There is absolutely no way that we can predict what is going to happen a month from now two months from now. Heck, we cannot even predict what's going to happen tomorrow. The level of change that has been involved in this whole thing day to day, sometimes hour to hour and minute to minute has been astounding just to me. If you had told me just two some months ago that my life would be spent in front of a computer screen doing 100% virtual appointments, I don't know that I even would have believed you then. We cannot predict the future. We don't exactly know how this is going to go. We don't know about the second wave that they keep calling. We, we just can't predict. It's changing constantly. We also, conversely, cannot control how long this thing is going to last. You know, <laughs> it depends on who you listen to, you know. I've listened to some folks say, well, this is going to be 12 to 18 months of our life. I've heard others say, buckle up, it's going to be the next three years. I've talked to some who are fully confident that this is going to be over by September. Now, I don't know. I guess it's just my training. I believe that somewhere between, quote, here and here lies the truth. And even then, we can't completely trust that that's the case. Again, we, we can't predict how long this thing is going to go, how long it's going to last, or further, when there's going to be a vaccine or a cure for it. We also cannot control how others react and what their motives are. And I think what I'm seeing is that this is probably the most detrimental thing to the vast majority of us, I know that I personally have experienced this, I'm sure others have, where you look at what other people are doing, 
the protests, the the level of, of dysfunctional behaviors that we're seeing, and we just sit back and we stand back and we shake our head and we go, why are they doing this? What is their motivation? You know, what 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 is the purpose of this? Like, how is this going to help matters? Oh my gosh, I have shaken my head over and over. I have shook my head so much in the last two months that my neck is sore, honestly. But the problem with that is that the more that we question that and we think that by questioning that, we're going to somehow control the motives and the reactions of others, all it's going to do is mess with our heads more. And you're going to start seeing it contribute to struggles sleeping, struggles functioning on the levels that you want to be functioning on, you know, engaging in the things that you do want to be doing. And so I think it's important to just, and I know this is easier said than done, but it's it's something that I'm, I'm striving to work on right now. And I, I, I really advise other folks to do this as well, is to just kind of do a little head shake from side to side and then, you know what I mean, just throw caution to the wind, throw your hands up in the air and just say, you know what, we'll see how this works out. Karma, Mother Nature, God, whatever you believe in will run its course and then walk away from it. Now, this ties in to now turning into internal locus of control, what we can control. Piggybacking off of what I just said, we can control walking away, if you will, from questioning the motives and the reactions of others. We can do this. We can, you know, simply say to ourselves, I don't agree. I don't care for this. I have no idea where this is going to go, but I trust that it's going to run its course in the way that it's designed. And I promise everybody you will be happier and you will be healthier if you can start practicing this instead of constantly posting on social media. Again, I am just as guilty as anybody else. I'm working on it, you know, and and trying to gain some semblance of control by posting and posting and reading and reading. And so along those lines, we can control if we turn the news off, we can we can control, excuse me, you know, shutting down social media for for a bit, you know, limiting it. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to some folks that kind of got this concept early on, my hat's off to them, that decided that they were going to limit their social media to one to two times a week. You know, I think that's amazing. You know, I think it's baby steps. I think um, as time marches on, we're realizing how toxic that can be, how destructive it can be. The presidential election of 2016 was a perfect example of that. And that was just one thing. We're being flooded with a lot more stuff four years later. So limiting that, um, turning the news off from time to time or limiting it. One of the things that I started doing, I wasn't doing this in the beginning, because I think in the beginning, so many of us were just so shell-shocked and, and were like deer in the headlights that we were just trying to stay as informed as we could. What I decided to do was to limit it to one time per day. And, and the time that I felt was going to work the best for me in terms of being a little bit more tired, you know, the day's winding down so that it's not starting off my day on a bad note. And I limit that time in the evening to where I get caught up on the news and, you know, news that I trust and, and you know, kind of look at the figures and what's going on so that I can stay informed. And one of the other things that we can definitely control, and I think this is, this is a given, this is a, a long known issue. It applies in normal times and it, my goodness, it applies more than ever now. And that is maintaining a positive attitude. I cannot emphasize this enough. It is crucial to focus on your blessings. It is crucial to focus on what is going well in your life, what you have, what you're blessed to have, to be grateful for those things. I do a positive list every single day, every single day. And I actually post it publicly. And part of the reason why I do that 
is I'm trying to set a good example to others of how we need to practice this. This isn't just about this pandemic. It's about every day. And so I encourage everyone to follow my lead there and to, if nothing else, keep a positive journal, a gratefulness journal, write down a few things every day that you're grateful for. Start there. If you want to, you know, kind of follow my, um, my lead, you know, post it publicly on some kind of forum, whether it's, you know, Facebook, Instagram, you know, let people know what is going well in your life. We are flooded, ladies and gentlemen, which with so much negativity right now, it's, it's just, it's percolating in the air. And so I think we, we all need to take a step back and to smell the roses. And finally, I will say this, within our internal locus of control, within our personal world of what we can control in this world of pandemonium right now is kindness and grace, exhibiting kindness and humility and grace. We have always needed more of it, and now we need it more than ever. I have seen in the past eight, nine weeks some of the most humble, amazing, kind, giving things that folks have done and pillars, pillars of representation of being kind have just been flooded. You know, I've, I've seen it. I've heard about wonderful stories on the radio, on, on TV, all over the place. Amazing what folks are doing. Folks are out there making masks. Folks, folks are out there exhibiting talents that they didn't even know they had, trying to help out and donate things and deliver and be good to their neighbors. And then on the flip side, I've seen a lot of evil-spirited behavior, and it never gets you anywhere. It, it, I mean, even in normal times, it doesn't get us anywhere. And if leadership, if certain leaders out there are not exhibiting kindness, I think it's very easy for those of us to follow suit, some of, some of us to follow suit, I should say, and you know, to think that that's how we handle it. But I can, I can promise you this, it's, it's not the way to handle it. We are the pillars. We are the pillars. We are the hope. We are the future for this country. It's not it's not even the experts in the CDC. It's it's not all of those folks that are going to get us through this. It's us. It's our human behavior. It's our kindness. It's our grace. It's our humility. It's our ability to set our differences aside. And I I hope that in all of this that is the biggest lesson that is learned. That's my hope. That has been my hope. That has been my prayer. That has been my, my, um, my process of thinking from the time this whole thing started was that maybe that's the lesson in it all. And it also, along those lines, is completely within our personal lines of control to control just how kindful, excuse me, kind and graceful we are. And so I hope that this podcast that I did today will start everybody off on a relatively good week and that maybe you gained something useful from this in terms of what is in your control and what is not in your control and how that can be pl applied not just to this current state of crisis, but to life at large and going forward into the future. I thank you very much, and I hope that everyone has a good week.